anyway, hello and welcome to another magical Saturday stream. At least the last one for about 10 weeks or so. Because of course tomorrow, House of the Dragon is coming to roar into our lives and disrupt everything about it. <laughs> and nothing will be the same for about two and a half months. So, you know, get ready for that one. It will be the last day of normalcy before the event. The event that changes everything. I wonder if anyone else got that reference from... Mitchell and Webb. I love their little event sketch. Anyway, so we're going to stay on brand before we get into House of the Dragon coverage and how everything's going to change. We're going to talk about dragon dreams. We're going to talk about prophecy, children of the forest, glass candles, everything and anything that was in the video I released the other day. And also anything about House of the Dragon as well. I don't know how long, how many we're going to talk about this thing today, the, uh, the video I made. So just throw stuff in the chat. This is relatively unscripted. As far as, as far as my streams usually go, I usually have like a 12 page outline that I'm like reading from as we're doing it. I just have a bunch of questions. So we're just gonna, we're gonna chit chat. That's what's gonna happen today. Uh, yeah. Make sure you guys slam that MF and like button. Let's see here. If we get up to 75 likes, we'll be hat time, hundred likes, free t-shirt time, 125 likes, better hat time. So yeah, I also wanted to say thanks for you going. There was a, a PayPal from Maura Lee before the stream went live because Mora is the MVP of all things to do with streams. She sent me a question, which I'll answer in a minute or two. Thank you so much, Mora, that as always doing way more than you have to, and it's always appreciated. Also a $5 from Danny McKay with the peace sign right back at you, buddy. And a new patron from the other day, some just the letter R. Thank you, the letter R for signing up. Thanks for that, buddy. If you want to support me in the stream, obviously you can go to patreon.com slash Joe Magician. You go to the $5 level and up, that's basically where you get all the other stuff, like access to the Slack, patron episodes, previews, all the good stuff. So what we're going to be talking about today is I, some of you watched the video from the other day. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you, I've known for a while that making content about like prophecy and dragon dreams and magic in the Song of Ice and Fire is not like the most popular thing to talk about but it's one of the things i find the most interesting it's one of those areas where george is really working hard at keeping things from the audience but also having it have such a drastic impact it's one of those things where it seems pretty clear that the end game of a song of ice and fire like it's going to have a lot to do with those things and it's one of those areas that doesn't super get talked about too much specifically when you're talking about like the origin of these things and you know how they all work together and where it's going with brand stark and stuff like that i dropped the link in the chat if you guys want to watch it afterwards i suppose <laughs> it's currently named why the targaryens conquered westeros i played the name a few times so you, you may have seen it under a different one that's basically what the thing is it's going to be a well we're like a day away so there is a it's it's tough to talk about because there is a spoiler in that video and it has to do with what we'll see tomorrow in the House of the Dragon. It will be an episode one. It's going to be an important part of it. So I'm like, I guess I won't say exactly what it is if you've managed to stay unsullied and stuff, stuff like that. But basically, the idea is that the Targaryens have always been guided by dragons in some way, although it's probably not the ones you're thinking of. It's not just the ones that they ride, it's the ones inside their minds, the ones that, that they dream of, the ones that supposedly show them the future. It's like the very first thing House Targaryen does that we know about 
is not doesn't have to do with them jumping on a dragon doing something impressive it has to do with obviously Danis the dreamer it has to do with the fact that they were the only ones to escape the doom of Illyria and how did they do that well it's prophetic dreams that that's the key to the house that's the thing that George really wants us to know and actually fun fact if you go back and read a song of ice and fire before the dream before the dragons are hatched by Danny the dreams of them show up first she's one of the primary dragon dreamers we can see although I don't think a lot of people think of her that way mostly because it's not explicit early on I think that Danny is having dragon dreams that she's literally seeing things from the future like she does see her dragons hatch before they show up I think there's literally a scene where she sees Drogon yeah Kieran Grant it is the hour-long video I put out the other day I think it may have confused people into thinking that was a stream because of the length and the way the thumbnail looked but no that was a that was a produced video but anyway so it's it is very important to them and to where that story is going and where House of the Dragon is going to go along with Pretty much Amanda uh, Crowfoot's honor and I have talked about this a lot in the past, how it's this unstated element to their entire family that where they're going and why they're going there is in some way or depending on the person, it seems to change quite a bit how each person's reacting to it, especially each monarch. But it, it's hard to deny that <laughs> these things are a huge part of the story that will only increase in importance as it goes on. So I think that that's my plug for that video, I guess. That's why you should go watch it. It's a lot about what makes the Targaryens special and different, but then also sort of getting to the implications of that. And that has to do with like the children of the forest and glass candles, green dreams. I even at the end, I even got into like ideas of like destiny and free will, which is actually a comment that I got from Curtis Franks. Curtis lit up that comment section. He he was writing tons of them. And one of them was like, oh, this has to do with physics. I'm like, yes, it does. It's not just a, a fantasy thing. Yes, I'm sponsored by the alphabet. That's right. <laughs> also, right before I went live, I don't know if you guys saw this. George released or HBO released a new video talking to George R. R. Martin where he was described. It's wait, what is it called? The video is called George R. R. Martin on dragons and their magic. And I made a quick Twitter thread before I went live. Oh, it's not a problem, Curtis. <laughs> it was good to. I was happy to read them. I was just saying you, you you hit on a part of it that I thought about putting in the video, but I didn't. But anyway, so George put out a video where they interviewed him about like the relationship of magic to fire and dragons and how the whole things work. And there was a particular quote that that really stuck out to me and it probably will to other people where maybe for one of the first times George really clarifies what's going on with his magical system. And this has a lot to do with what I was talking about. The. The quote is the Valyrians while practicing their blood magic, their fire magic, notice it didn't matter when you pronounced the spell right or made the correct sacrifice to the correct God, but what is your relationship to dragons? And he goes on to talk about that more, but basically the idea is the, the Valyrians noticed that being closer to dragons in some way made magic work. Which I guess in a, in a sort of way you can look back at the rest of the story and be like, well, this is just true. Like after Danny's hat, after Danny's dragons hatch, you know, the, uh, there's the story in Karth of the guy who can now do the fire ladder. The glass candles are burning. The alchemists are like our wildfire spells are working. So that is, that part isn't surprising that the dragons have a lot to do with magic. I think the surprising part, the thing that really took, 
kind of took me aback is how he said how it didn't matter if you pronounced the spell right or made the correct sacrifice to the correct god because a lot of the magic that we've seen in the song of ice and fire proper and the way it's been told to us especially by characters like melisandre is that you know king's blood and the idea of sacrificing things you know only death can pay for life or something like that and then george just comes out and said well maybe like it may be that the person is more mad than than burning alive the right person is how you get effects which would make it even more tragic what's going on with melisandre and stannis and the followers of relor and how much they're how many people they're killing and george is saying like oh, i don't think it really does that much that's right a crushing panther hidden dragon that's right the alchemists said their wildfires here wildfire was easier to make yeah they there's a line where i forget helen or something like that he asked here and he's like have you heard anything about dragons being back is like our spells are working <laughs> and they hadn't really for a while or they were working better that seems to be the idea is that when danny's it's not that it's not that magic was gone in the whole world with the dragons gone but it was severely limited and certain things it seems like with like glass candles just weren't working at all They they were making wildfire but i guess it wasn't as good is the kind of the idea there which is kind of fascinating to think about that george is explicitly linking fire magic use as almost like you know it's it's not something like in other fantasy stories where like you have to know the specific spells and you have to say it with the right intonation and you have to move your hands in a certain way he's kind of saying it's more like an intrinsic property of the people that can use it yeah i didn't think melisandre made any sense either in who she decided to burn especially because she was like i think the one that really doesn't make sense is where she's like oh well mance raider is a king therefore his child is king's blood therefore they must be like there must be value in burning them and i'm just like mance like declared himself a king from nowhere why is like is relore like some kind of blood magic accountant in the background does he have like a table and he looks up like okay well how closely related is this person to a particular magical or royal line and if they're this close i'll give you this much effect like it just seemed like she was kind of making it up a lot i think that's kind of the idea george has said that he made melisandre have a pov mostly because she's one of the more misunderstood characters in a song of ice and fire and i think one of the things you're supposed to understand about her and one of the things that perhaps a lot of people miss is that you're supposed to be highly skeptical of what she's doing. And in much in a similar way to the prophetic dream stuff I was talking about in my video, that it's not that Melisandre doesn't have visions and it's not that she doesn't have insight. It's just that she gets it wrong. <laughs> and that's not atypical. That's the norm. Nobody gets it right. The only person, this is, the, this is one of my favorite things about when you're talking about like prophetic dreams and magic in the Song of Ice and Fire. There's literally one person who gets their dreams correct, and that's the ghost of High Heart because she doesn't even try. <laughs> she gets them, and then she just sort of lets them go. She's like, this is what I saw. I don't know what it means. All magic has a price. Maybe. It very well could. I don't know. I've, I'm just sort of turning over that the quote George gave in my head a few times and just sort of, this was literally like 10 to 15 minutes before we went live, so I haven't really thought about it too much yet, but when you're it makes you wonder like in terms of the dragon eggs hatching if it's not a spell and if it's not like some sort of correct sacrifice then that tells you it's probably the people hatching them and not the not the way you do it like we've seen a lot of clips from the show where they're shoving dragon eggs into into braziers and like apparently trying to heat them up 
but that might not have anything to do with it. It could be sort of a, what's the idea? Placebo, where the reason they're hatching has nothing to do with like putting them near heat or anything like that. It has to do with the people around them. And if like, maybe there's something magical about them that causes them to hatch or something like that. I'm not really sure, but it definitely does. It definitely calls into question a lot of what the Targaryens are doing. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of ritual that they do that doesn't have any real basis in effect. Maybe it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like harmonics or something. I mean, there's definitely a sense, like I was talking about earlier, Danny saw her dragons before they hatched. So that's strange that she could see them before they, before they showed up. So if you apply that to the rest of the dragons, maybe there has to be some sort of soul or psychic connection between the egg and a, and a dragon rider before it go, before it before it hatches. Although it would, I do still like the idea. I think I talked about this with Bookshelf Stud and Poor Quentin a while back about how I think that the that the reason the Targaryens have had so many dragon seeds is that they use them to sacrifice to try and hatch dragon eggs. That there's like a pit of of uh, somewhere in Dragonstone, there's like a room of bones filled of all the the children they sacrifice to hatch their dragons. Still could be something like that, but it, it is it is curious. I, this is one of those things where George has unexpectedly coming into the show been much more forthright about telling people what's going on in his universe, like really unexpectedly. So well, I guess it isn't really a spoiler. He said the in an interview the other day, I think with Vanity Fair, I think that was it, where Aegon explicitly conquered Westeros in order to because of a vision of the White Walkers he saw coming. So that's not really a spoiler. I don't remember George saying that kind of stuff before. I went back and I looked at like the interviews he had done around the time of Fire and Blood when he released it. And he was definitely saying it, but he also wasn't saying it directly. He wasn't saying this is true. He was saying like, oh, well, there are theories about this. And then there was an example in the World of Ice and Fire where somebody, what was the quote? It was like something about the Old Town Tower and like where it came from which was which looks to be false but then they followed it right up with the idea that Aegon definitely used prophecy to come to Westeros and it's like he's been playing it as a maybe rather than a definite fact and now he's just like he's just like going like yeah man this is what's going on the sacrifices don't really do anything no magic spells but yeah that's right Aaron like in the galaxy 2 with Ego's failed children i wouldn't be surprised if that would be something George would cons- would put into his world well, Kieran Grant, I think the the seven have all ritual and meaning nothing. It seems Valyrian sorcery definitely does have something. Also, I wanted to say, what do you guys think of my new my new backdrop? Got built myself a bookcase. You can sort of see wait over here. You can sort of see behind them. I put the calendar art behind each of the books. This is my germ shelf right behind my head, and then below it, you've got the Expanse, Shattered Earth, Patrick Rothfuss. The Witcher series, which I'm currently reading, I'm most of the way through Blood of Elves at this point. I used to have just like off camera over there. <laughs> I used to have stacks of books just kind of sitting there that I had no space for. And it just it just kind of annoyed me. And I thought going into the season, I should do something to, I don't know, make it look a little better because it was like a weird. <laughs> I had the I had this bookcase, then I had the small one, and then I had like the latter one. The latter one's over there now, but now it's just a drink cart. Hey, that. I'm glad you guys enjoy it. I think it looks pretty cool. Although it did remind me of how many books I have where I have like the first book in a series and I don't have the rest of it. <laughs> so at some point I'm going to have to actually go through and read all these. I think about half of them I've read at this point. Let's see here. That's kind of my way. I start a lot of series just to see if, what I think of them. 
and then I continue. I buy the next one if I like it. But yeah. Oh yeah. So let's let's go ahead and do some let's do some question stuff. I think I rambled for a while. Oh, make sure you guys slam that mfing like button. All right. So I wanted to go to the one for Maura Lee. She sent this with her PayPal again. Thank you so much, Maura. I have read the first three books of the Expanse, Curtis. I haven't read the rest of them. I had a whole plan where I was going to read them one by one and then like compare them to the show. But then it got pointed out to me that they diverge quite wildly. And I guess they didn't do the last book or what they like cut one of the books. So I guess that's not really a plan. I did really like them. So that's not really it's not really an indictment of what I think of them. I think they're great books. I just haven't gotten around to finishing them. The, the Blood of Elms is a weird book. though. It's just been I'm at the point where it's like 20 pages of just kings talking about what they want to do. That that was a strange one by me. Uh, so the question for more oh, to send in a super chat too. let's let's do the let's do a super chat first. Ten dollars. Thank you so much more. Is this one of the reasons that Euron wants a dragon to reinforce the power of his magic as well as give him ruling political power? Almost certainly. If there is one character in A Song of Ice and Fire who is explicitly tuned into weird magic shit and is sees things on a different level that poor Quentin has been very diligent about detailing for all of us it is Euron Greyjoy he probably I mean he wears Valyrian steel armor he has dragon binder he's basically trying to make himself into a Valyrian sorcerer he's engaging in blood sacrifice at this point like he's gonna quite clearly kill flowers who's carrying his child it looks like he's gonna kill Aaron Greyjoy who I guess has king's blood too if you believe in that kind of thing so I would guess that that is why Euron wants a dragon not just for the, the conquest ability, but for the idea that it will make all the that it will make everything else he wants to do magically happen. He's and he's probably right about that, especially with the George's quote from that video. Yeah, Euron's probably right that the dragon is more important than knowing the uh, the magical words or sacrificing correctly. The dragon will make it all work. Good question, Laura. And the other one from her, she said, we know that Targaryens had dragon dreams that help in certain outcomes, like worrying about the doom of Valyria, for example. Oh, I'm sorry. I I just remembered. There is one other person who got their dream right. Danny's the dreamer. dreamer. <laughs> She's the only Targaryen who has successfully had a dream, predicted the outcome, and avoided it, which is kind of crazy. Did any of the characters in Hot D have any dreams that could help them prevent their internal wars? and eventual fall of their house. I think we're definitely going to get the idea that Viserys has dragon dreams. I mean, we've seen it in the promos. He talked about how his dream seemed clearer than reality or something like that. And he just he describes all the classic things we see from dragon dreams. The dragon's roaring. He sees complicated images he can't quite place. And then also, actually for the thumbnail for this video, for the stream, I put in a picture of Viserys like, playing with his Valyrian steel city. And I noted on Twitter that that is actually not uncommon for dragon dreamers, that they seemingly have this consistent idea of a gleaming white city. Ares has it. Ares the second. It's one of the things that's mentioned in terms of like one of his crazy ideas. He wanted to build a second wall far to the north. Turns out he was right about that one. They maybe needed another wall. His other one was that he saw on the other side of the bank from the Blackwater, he saw a gleaming white city, like a perfect, beautiful one. And he like wanted to build it. And everyone's like, what the hell are you talking about? We're not building another King's Landing. But if you look at what Viserys is looking at in the, actually, let me see if I can pull this up real fast. 
I probably won't be able to pull it out, pull it up particularly fast. No, I can't. I don't have that on unless somebody wants to send me a link to the picture. I'll see if I can see if I can grab it. But yeah, it seems very likely that Viserys is seeing things in the future that he's seeing dragon dreams. And he's also reacting to ones that his ancestors had. And that's that's one of the complicated things. And George talked about this in that in that article I was talking about, the one with him and Ryan Condal, where he talked about Aegon the Conqueror, is that quite quickly the Targaryens have realized that just because they dream it, they don't know the time frame. Like, for instance, I make it sound in my video like Danny's got the dream and they just up and left, but they up and left. And then like 12 years or like seven to 12 years later, then the doom came. It was not for quite a while. I'm sure Anar and the rest of the Targaryen family were like, what do we listen to Danies for? God, this sucks. Westeros is the worst. What are we even doing here? You know, that kind of stuff. Don't forget about the children of Makar. I don't think any of them had dreams of a city that I remember. But who knows? We don't really know that much about, for instance, what in Brightflame may have seen if he had his dreams. Like, Aemon claims they all had them. So it's quite possible that maybe Arian dreamed of the same city. It appears to be a Valyrian city that Viserys is modeling, which is actually kind of funny. It's like, there are some really good takes on Twitter where it's just like people are looking at the picture and they forget on the other side, Alicent is sitting there looking extremely annoyed. <laughs> it's just like, stop working on your stupid Valyrian city model. Like, come back to bed. Like, we have other things you have to do. And Viserys is like, no, 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 I have to paint this one rock. And he's like working on a dragon and a rock or something like that to put into the right place. I did talk about this in, I think, the Pyres and Blood video, but the idea that George is drawing on from that he that I think he used for Ares II and probably the same thing that's happened with Viserys is actually a HP Lovecraft thing where very commonly the people in Lovecraft's world when they have crazy dreams especially of of like faraway places and stuff like that it's very often like these giant beautiful like perfect white cities that are all empty and then a few times Lovecraft has his characters go to them and they're like these cities of the gods kind of idea. So I think to, to get back to Marley's question, I think definitely we're going to see that Viserys struggle is going, definitely going to have an internal struggle that he's going to have his dragon dreams of what he thinks is going to happen. And he's going to have to try and play those off the practical reality of his life of being the king of Westeros. And that's one of the things I think that made it really hard for Targaryen monarchs. And one of the reasons, you know, they get the reputation for the coin flip thing. It's that they are sort of playing on a different level there and they can't really tell anybody because everyone will think they're nuts for, for believing in dreams. But when you look at somebody like, like Daniel's the dreamer, they'd be crazy not to listen. It's the only thing that saved them. The only reason they're in West is because they followed these things. So they sort of have to, but also they don't really want to admit to it because then they'll see just insane to their subjects and lose credibility. Expecting to have Rhaenyra have them too. I would definitely be on the table. I think that uh, we're going to find out that Rhaenyra's another one of those characters where when you read Fire and Blood itself, there's a lot of questions about her decision making and not really sure what she's doing. And the Maesters and <laughs> Mushroom are just kind of like, oh yeah, well, what we don't know why she did this. It's quite possible that it's the same reason we're talking about here that she's trying to balance the, you know, the idea that the world might end soon along with whatever kind of dream she had or Viserys had or Aegon had 
or even if they still have signs importance, the book from Danny from Danny's and trying to balance that against, again, what's going on in her real life. Daenerys in particular really, really struggles with this, where she's always kind of she's thinking constantly about the House of the Undying prophecies. And she's thinking about like, oh, who are the three betrayers, betrayer for blood, betrayer for gold and stuff like that. And it's like it's constantly going through her head trying to see how these prophecies fit to her real life. And she sort of has the idea that that I'm talking about where she quite quickly realizes she shouldn't tell people about this stuff, because when she does, they kind of go like, what the hell are you talking about? Jorah basically says the same thing. She comes out of the house, the and dying. She's like, I saw all these things. And Jorah's like, they, they gave you Shay the evening. Like it didn't mean anything. They don't know anything. But Danny doesn't believe that. And it's going to be the same thing here. Mesopotamian cities. I think Lovecraft always made them look Egyptian, like sort of a ancient Egyptian cities. I think that was his reference. I don't know. I th- I'm not sure what the Valyrian architecture is supposed to look like. It's all made of used white stone, I think. I don't know if George is explicitly actually I have to I think in the image it does kind of look like ancient Egyptian stuff. So maybe that's what they're going for. Let's see in the chat. Okay, so Egg the Sixth had the theory. Okay. What's the theory here? I think Viserys hasn't ridden another dragon because it seems like he's seeing Balerion's memories of Lyra. That's how he knows what it looks like. Oh, so like Balerion's living a second life in Viserys? Is it Persian? I I'm not that super it, it just I know Lovecrafts are explicitly ancient Egyptian. Or kind of like a pop culture version of ancient Egyptian. I'm not really sure what George is drawing on. Yeah, it would be interesting if like there, there's a second life element going on between Balerion and Viserys. I've in the past wondered, like we know explicitly that when the Stark kids die, they go into their second life with the direwolves. John, we know he goes into Ghost. Rob went into Grey Wind upon his death. I've wondered if when Lady was killed, if she went into Sansa. Like if it's a, you know, a door open one way can go bolt, you can walk through it from either direction. That would be kind of cool if, if a dragon rider loses their dragon, if they, if they live on in them or if it goes the other way, do, are there like Targaryen second lives in a way? So when you're talking about Balerion, he's had multiple riders. He had Aegon the first, he had Magor, like do those two Kings in a way live on within Balerion? Kind of like in the way that we see from Vermeer Sixkins. George has said there's not a ton of overlap there where he says that skin changing and dragon riding are different, but it'd be a cool idea if they were closer in that way. I know that there's also been theories for a while that like Danny's dragons have Theris and Khal Drogo in them and maybe Rhaegar because of the names where it's Rhaegal for Rhaegar, Viserys for Viserys, and then Drogon for Drogo. It'd be kind of interesting if those if that's like the souls that are contained in their dragons, that kind of thing. Although it does get a little wonky. It's like, how would she get Rhaegar's soul and why would it go into a dragon? But yeah, it's not, I like the idea. It would be interesting if some part of Balerion is still speaking to Viserys in a way. What made Nettles able to ride her dragon? Ooh, I think we're going to get an answer to that one in probably season two or three. Oh, that's right. Rhaegar, the unborn child for, for Rhaegar. There you go, Mallory. You're right. It oscillates between the two. Some people think it's Rhaegar. Some people think it's Rhaego. Obviously, the names work. So what made Nettles able to ride her dragon? So we get two stories. Well, kind of three stories. The first one is that she she rode Sheepstealer and that basically she tamed it, that she used. She would constantly bring Sheepstealer 
food to essentially tame it into liking her. So, I mean, that works on this like a basic animal level. That is one way to tame a wild animal is to feed it and make it like you. It's a little tougher with dragons because they are very different, I guess. <laughs> their temperaments and their ability to kill people makes it a little little sketchy one way or the other. So that's that's a really easy one that requires no magic. She basically just bribed it. And it kind of makes sense if you're looking back at the history of variants and dragons. You, if you're trying to imagine how did they first get to ride dragons, because it seems the dragons pre-existed the Valutans. So somebody obviously had to tame one, right? So it would make sense if Nettles did the same thing. The second idea is that she is a secret dragon seed. So the Targaryens and the, and the Valarians are well known for having these quote unquote dragon seeds, which much in the way that the Ironborn have their cute word for their slavery, it's called thralls. The Targaryens just produce tons of bastards. They have a very different idea of sexuality and monogamy, basically, where they kind of don't believe in monogamy. They only do because the faith makes them. And they they tend to have just a lot of casual sex and they do it with their vassals. So there's quite a lot of what's known as dragon seeds or bastard children on Dragonstone and also on Driftmark from the Warriors. It's just kind of a thing for them. Hang on a second. So, what it, Nettles is from, where's Nettles from? I think she's from Hull, I believe. She grew up on Spicetown in Hull on Driftmark. Brown-skinned girl who unexpectedly was able to tame a dragon. So, it very well could, could Nettles be Leaf in a Glamour? No, I've, I went really hard against that theory a long time ago. Like, the fact that her name is plant-based does not mean she's a child of a forest. That, that's like a crazy idea. But it is not unreasonable to imagine that one of the many Valarians on, on Driftmark had a bastard child with somebody that lived near the docks. And so much like how the strong children who are half Targaryen, half strong can ride dragons, it would not be crazy to assume that a half Valarian dragon who may have dragon rider blood could also produce somebody. Sorry, my voice is going again. Talking too much without drinking. Sorry, it's not crazy to assume that the same thing could happen there. The same if, you know, if Jace Valarion can ride a dragon, then a half Valarion could too, probably. So that's the dragon seed idea that she just has secret Valyrian blood and that's what makes it work. Although there is sort of a, well, it's not really an issue. The, the strange thing is that she rides a wild dragon and the wild dragons reject almost everybody who tries to ride them they hate people trying to ride them now in a in a sense it kind of makes sense like you know they've never had dragon riders they've always been independent but when you look at actually the dragons that are living on dragonstone at the time most of them who are former dra formerly had dragon riders are essentially living the same lives like after the death of jess and alisane Vermithor and, and Silverwing basically live as wild dragons on Dragonstone. They have no riders. They just kind of hang out. So I guess there's sort of the idea that they're kind of like Broncos or something like that, or Mustangs, where it's they're very tough to tame because they never have before. But it's even Targaryens, like pure-blooded Targaryens, have had a lot of problems with the wild dragons. So I think this is a long way of going to coming around to the idea why was she able to ride a dragon? It. it it's unclear how she was able to get sheep stealer and why she didn't really get one of the norm, one of the mainline dragons, one of the ones that came from Valyria. 
And I think that kind of works more towards the idea that she has Valarian blood in her. I have this theory I'm going to make in probably after the season ends, talking about how I think the the wild dragons on Dragonstone are leftovers from the Valarians. Like they had secret dragons and they just sort of lost control of them, that kind of thing. But there's also the possibility she's a secret Targaryen dragon seed and not a Valarian one. Her being from Driftmark makes it sound like she should come from the Valarian family, but Targaryens travel. They go to Driftmark. It's entirely possible that she comes from one of those families. Now, there's sort of a like a race Skywalker thing going on with Nettles where it's not people like different ideas based on what it means for Nettles. There's a lot of people that don't like the secret dragon seed idea because they love the idea that Nettles is came from nowhere, but was able to do the same thing as these Valyrians were able to do the dragon lords. And she's just as she's just as good as they are. And anyone can ride a dragon if they want. But also George is pretty explicit that he's made every other dragon rider that we know about have literally magical blood. So it's a little tough. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Ray Palpatine, as her name actually is. It was the same kind of thing. People, there are some people that really love the idea that Ray in Star Wars was nobody, that she came from nowhere and she was was better than everyone else. And then, of course, in the third movie, they basically said, never mind, she has the most magical blood and that's why she's so powerful. So it kind of goes both ways. It's not really a, a, a question of proof at this point because we don't have any. Maybe a House of the Dragon will answer that at some point. But I don't know which way. I think knowing George, I lean towards that she is a dragon seed, that she's a bastard of some Valarian dragon rider or that she's a bastard of a Targaryen or something like that just because I know George leans that way really hard but it's really just a matter of which story you like better I guess I don't think there's really a definitive answer or not yet I guess sorry my phone just went off I probably just scared everyone that has ever played Metal Gear Solid my bad all right there we go so that's my long-winded answer on if Nettles is a dragon rider so let's grab a few more questions from the video. So yeah, Sanrixian and Aegon the Six were talking about this in her drawing stream the other night, and it kind of stuck in my head. And I guess Lady Gwyn has talked about it before that. Yeah, I guess it really depends if you think the dragons were, the wild dragons were there before the Targaryens arrived, or if they are just wild offspring of the ones they brought. Like is the cannibal the child of Balerion or one of the other dragons or something like that? Oh yeah, so anyway, so from the patron Slack, Archmaester Emma, she watched the video and then wrote a series of essays for me to read, which I thought were really good. It's always good to see. I really do love the idea of seeing what you guys think of the videos and that they're not just, I guess, entertainment, that I like being able to make you guys think and trying to imagine what you've read and what you know in a different way. That's kind of what I like doing. And so when I see these kind of things, actually, this is back going back to Curtis Franks, who is like, oh, I'm sorry about all the comments. No, that's perfect. I love seeing that stuff. I love seeing what other people think about it. So Emma's first thought was uh, Viserys seems pretty set on naming Rhaenyra heir. Could he have solved the princess princess mistranslation as well? And just got lost to history with the dance not going Rhaenyra's way. So I think this is a really insightful idea, and I love the imagination behind it. Um, she's talking about the idea that Maester Aemon talks about, that uh, that the reason no he's talking about Daenerys and how he thinks she's the prince that was promised, and he notes that the the word used in the in the prince that was promised prophecy 
is ungendered, that it could mean prince or princess in the same way that dragons can switch from male to female, kind of like, I guess if you've seen Jurassic Park, they talk about the frogs that can change depending on if there's too many males or too many females. Yeah, Hindi. Yes, please smash the like button as well. A 75 likes for putting on a silly hat, 100 likes. Somebody's getting a free t-shirt from my, uh, my threadless shop. But yeah, so Emma's idea here is that maybe Eamon wasn't the first one to see that. Maybe that's part of the reason, like thinking about Aegon the Conqueror's dragon dreams and perhaps Viserys' own dreams and how he seems dead set on Rhaenyra being his heir. Perhaps that he heard the prince that was promised prophecy or he had his own version of it and he made the same connection that Aemon does. And he says, well, it doesn't have to be a prince. It could be a princess, especially since he speaks High Valyrian. And that may be, he may have convinced himself that Rhaenyra was the prince that the princess that was promised she would be the one to lead the dragons against the long night and end them and that's really not a crazy idea and i think it's a really insightful one because so many targaryens think that way rhaegar thought that way aemon thinks that way clearly aegon the conqueror thought that way they're always trying to find the three heads of the dragon and the prince that was promised and they're always trying to fit their different lives to it it's actually kind of a fun meta thing i talked about this in the video but that, that to be a target and to have these dragon dreams basically makes you a Redditor. <laughs> they're, they're constantly trying to weave out the difference of the prophecies and try and figure out which one's real. How does it apply? Who's actually it? And yeah, that would be, that would be a really cool idea if Viserys himself, that's part of the reason that he cannot aim. He, he feels he cannot name Damon nor Aegon as his heir because he thinks he solved it. That'd be, that'd be a very, very spicy idea for the show to show. Obviously, I don't know, because again, I, I, I haven't seen any screeners. I don't know what's happening other than what's in uh, Fire and Blood. So very good comment from Emma. I, lo I love that one. That was really cool. It's that kind of extrapolation that makes for very interesting thinking about the whole thing. It also makes me wonder if if we're going to see a copy of Signs of Importance, Danny's the Dreamer's book. Amanda, or Crowfeet's daughter, and I talked about this in the comments on the video where I wonder if we're going to find out that one of the books that Rhaenyra is reading underneath the Weirwood tree actually is Signs of Importance, that if at this time they still have that book. Can I imagine the son's laptop posting wild theories on Reddit? Yeah, that's right. He's like, he's one of those. He's just another Redditor trying to solve the thing. Well, OK, so dragons wake from stone and bleeding star. Oh, my God, it's Rhaenyra. It'd be kind of wild, but it's probably true. When you look at all the different Targaryens, like for sure, Amanda talked about this a while back, that Baylor the Blessed, his reaction to probably having dragon dreams himself or knowing that the prophecies is to try and basically avoid them. He's like, well, if I just do the opposite, then nothing will happen. And he probably saw the Blackfire Rebellions coming and instead he accidentally made them. And that could be why there's a weird detail that after Damon Blackfire is born, or Damon Rivers at the time, Baylor like loses his shit and goes into like 30 days of fasting and prayer. And the reason very well could be that he believed he was avoiding the future, the, the negative futures he saw and then accidentally caused it. And he's like, oh my God, what the hell am I supposed to do? Um, and that, I get to, I get into that into a lot into my video talking about the idea of like free will and what this prophecy really means that if they always come true, then the fact that people get the dreams changes nothing. Like, it's not like 
it, like George seems to have designed it. And it seems like House of the Dragon is going to do the same thing that that the existence of true prophetic dreams changes nothing about the future that's coming. Therefore, that kind of calls into question if there's really any choice in these characters lives, if they can really do anything about it. And uh, it's quite possible Baylor the Blessed is going on that way. Yeah. Prophecy will bite off your prick. It's the sword without the hill. You know, it's a big problem. And it's one that I don't think many of the dragon dreamers really get to. Like some of them do. I think that probably drove Daron the Drunkard really nuts inside, realizing that he could not avoid them and he couldn't avoid getting them either. And it's like, all right, I guess I'm in control of nothing, especially after the Asher and Meadow thing. That must have really screwed with his head. He kind of goes off the rails after that. Rainies and Damon's dragons look similar and Rhaenyra's looking similar can make the dragon dreams confusing in the succession crisis. Yeah, that's the other point about it, Egg. The idea that George has literally written it so that the dragon dreams are basically impossible to interpret. Like I, my favorite example is the one from the mystery night where Damon, the second Blackfire, dreams an egg hatching at White Walls and that it will be a real dragon. It will be his. And then Duncan the Tall will be his a member of his Kingsguard. So Damon finds Duncan, offers him to basically be a member of his Kingsguard in the future. And then George basically goes like, aha, it wasn't a real dragon egg and it wasn't a real dragon. It was metaphorical. And it's like, what, is, what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with the metaphorical dragon egg dragon dream? There's no shot. So it's going to be quite ridiculous for, for them to figure it out. How Ares survived the doom. I knew, there definitely were Valyrians that survived the doom and they were off in the colonies, but I'm pretty sure. Everyone except Orion and the Targaryens die in the doom, right? I don't think, I think all the other 39 families minus Orion were dead. Nobody, no dragon riders were allowed outside of Valyria. So it's not to say there isn't dragon riding blood outside of the mainland Valyria at the time of the doom, but there was nobody who actively owned dragons anywhere else in the world. Well, at least as far as within the Valyrian empire. Yeah. Metaphorical dragons. What the hell? <laughs> Let's grab another question that I got from the video. Curtis Franks acts, asked me, and I actually didn't know the question of this, and I put it on, on Twitter and people came up with some really good answers. Do the Baratheons ever demonstrate dragon dreams? So I kind of opened this door in my video because I was talking about the Blackfires, and I said like, actually this was for, for Pat Doherty basically. I threw a bone to Blackfire supporters out there and I said that, you know, as far as dragon dreams go, it seems to be related to the bloodline rather than what name you call yourself. So as Damon the second has them, as far as the dragon dreams are concerned, it doesn't matter if he's a Targaryen or a Blackfire, he, it's the same thing. So the obvious question is, what about the Baratheons who are supposedly coming from Oris Baratheon, who was half Aegon the Conqueror's half brother with the rumors about him. So if he's half Targaryen, is that enough for him and his descendants, especially since they did intermarry with the Targaryens several times, did they have dragon dreams as well? Oh, a super chat here from Kraken Queen, 50 PLN. Thank you for the great content as always. What am I, what are, what are you guys looking forward to most in House of the Dragon? Oh, there's a lot to look forward to. You can take a brief, brief detour from Matthew dragon dreams for a second. One of the things I'm really looking forward to is, ooh, how long was that? In House of the Dragon is, there's a bunch of particular mysteries that I'm obviously very invested in. I want to know, 
who lit the fire on Harwin Strong and uh, and Lionel Strong at Hall. I'm definitely looking forward to, as I've made clear, I want to know more about like the Ceres' relationship to Dragon Dreams, Rhaenyra, and, and also Aegon the Conqueror, how this has really been sort of this undercurrent of the Targaryen family. It's something I've suspected and talked about a lot in the past, but it's never been this explicit. It's it's a little bit it, it will be really interesting to see it on like on the screen and see these characters interacting with it on a personal level, much in the way that Danny does in A Song of Ice and Fire and how it when you compare that to Fire and Blood, how it sort of gets translated. And that could, again, be used to read the rest of the Targaryen history. And just like Emma did earlier with the Prince and Princess thing, find more parallels between Viserys and the rest of their line. So that's stuff I'm really excited about. Lyra Strong, I want to see what they do with Laris. He's He has not been billed as a main character. He's been in the secondary group. Obviously, he comes into his own in seasons two or three, but very much looking forward to seeing Laris. Also, Alice Rivers, are you going to see her in the Heron Hall fire? That In the promo they put out the other day, it looks like we're going to see Harwin Strong literally burned to death. And if Alice Rivers is there, if she caused it, I don't really know. But that would be cool to see. I love Karina Strick says, I love the theory that Allison and Damon bonked. Is that a thing? Is that a theory? Is that why Amen looks like Damon? That would be kind of wild if they were father and son. Yeah, Adam, good call, Austin Flowers. Adam Valorian on the God's Eye. Definitely want to see that. I really want to see the role of the children of the forest, what they're doing in this timeline. Because as far as fire and blood is concerned, they basically don't exist. It's it's kind of their nature where they don't want to be seen, so they're not. But you can sort of see their you can see their influence. And I I proposed this in the video talking about how they could possibly fake dragon dreams and how they could be responsible for sending them. So they might have a lot stronger hand in House of the Dragon than I think a lot of people realize. Like they're not going to be inactive during this point. They've been trying for basically since the Tarians landed to try and wed the Weirwoods and the Dragons, ultimately culminating in Bloodraven. So they should be here. I don't know if it's going if they're going to be a character, like if, if we're going to see a three eyed raven, if we'll see. I imagine we'll see the Children of the Forest on the Isle of Faces at some point. But characters like Alice Rivers and Lara Strong and the Blackwoods, as we get in the seasons two, three and maybe four, should be the force like the foot soldiers of the old gods kind of pushing themselves into this targaryen conflict actually gray area made a, a tweet the other day actually yesterday where she said something like if you think house of the dragon is a targaryen show you're wrong and she, i think gray is correct i think that the the role of the old gods and the children of the forest while they're they're not going to show up as heavily in season one as we get into the later seasons, there's going to be a much, a much larger component of this idea of the dragons and the weirwoods interacting with each other, uh, basically through proxies, I guess. So that's something I'm really excited about to see where that goes. 36 wins. Interesting name. How do you feel about the shunners having to make choices on things that are left open by George's source material? Fine. It's written that way. It's written to allow an eventual adaptation to create its own story or to decide between the different factions and truths that are presented if it's some of them or none seems fine to me i have no problem with that although i don't know if you guys saw this on twitter yesterday elio of westeros.org wrote a quote-unquote review of fire and blood he called it not a review i think he's just trying to copy george or something like that and he made this claim and he's like well the showrunners 
they made the choice that none of them were correct. I'm like, what? Of course they did. You didn't think it was a possibility that of the three ideas present presented in Fire and Blood that none of them might be right? That was just kind of insane to me. But yeah, I have no problem with it. Even if George wasn't heavily involved, I mean, it's an adaptation. So it's not going to be one-to-one. That's kind of how it goes. Oh, to get back to the idea of Tians and Dragon Dreams. So one example that was brought up to me that I had totally forgotten is that Shireen has dreams of dragons. She has nightmares and she sees the dragons on Dragonstone coming to life. Literally the dragons waking from stone. She sees dragons in the sky coming down to get her and to eat her, I think, or something like that. And which by all accounts looks to be a dragon dream. And since she is a brat and therefore relatively a Targaryen by blood at this point, not that far removed either, because I think it's Senna's grandmother that was a Targaryen princess that married into the Baratheon family. I think it was, I forget which generation it was, but it's relatively, relatively recent that this happened. So it would not be that crazy for, for Shireen to be getting them. And it kind of makes sense. Everything that she sees lines up with what we see from Dragon Dreams. Stannis certainly has his bad dreams where he, he, Melisandre somehow frees his consciousness from his body and turns it into the shadow baby, which then kills Renly and then also Courtney Penrose. So that's not a dragon dream, but it definitely is weird dreams. Yeah, that's right. Mallory, first Baratheon was Aegon, the first half brother, supposedly. Oh, thank you for the super chat. Two dollars from Sanric. Who is Joe Magician's favorite dragon? Ooh, that's a tough one. Hmm. Who is my favorite dragon? I think it's Cannibal. But that's probably just because I'm a theory kind of person. Like my, my mind loves mysteries and cannibal is far and away the most mysterious dragon. There are so many questions about where he came from, why he's doing what he's doing. What's his relationship to the other dragons, that, that kind of thing where it's like, there's, there's something there to scratch at, I guess. And it it kind of intrigues me, especially the idea that he's literally the Ouroboros I talked about in the other video. I talked about in the video that he is the dragon that eats its own tail. He's the dragon that eats it's he's the embodiment of it. So it seems like George is putting more into cannibal than than he does to other dragons, especially the whole weird thing about how when Corlys Varian dies, they like give him a burial at sea and then out of nowhere, cannibal shows up and flies over the, the boat or something like that. And it's noted in fire and blood that it's like a tribute to the sea snake. It's like, what the hell? Why? Why is Cannibal doing this? And then one explanation in the Fire and Blood is like, well, he's probably just hunting. It doesn't mean anything. But, you know, that's kind of the I talked about this during the video, the Doyless versus the Watsonian. Watsonian, you can definitely see the idea that like it doesn't mean anything, but it's not a real history. George didn't have to write that in. So why did he? What's the point of linking Corlys to Cannibal, like from a writing perspective? So in ter- I guess in terms of personality, mm. what would be a favorite dragon? Mm. It's tough because when a lot of them just sort of take on the characteristics of their character, Matt Smith has talked about that a lot in interviews, that they are kind of one in the same. So if you're saying you like a dragon, you sort of almost, you like the rider at the same time. Mm. Good question. Uh, I guess I'll just say Lise because I like Rainies a lot <laughs> since they're one in the same. But I, we're going to see a lot of their their personality as the show goes on. So I'm sure my my answer will change as we go along. I don't know. Brian's kind of like the, the vanilla answer. He's the big bad dragon. He's the biggest one. He's the conqueror's dragon. It's like, eh, don't have to don't have to min max your dragons, you know, like the one you like. 
anyway, going back to the, the Baratheon dragon dreams, Rhaenys herself, I think, is part Baratheon. Her mother, or her, yeah, she's, her mother was a Baratheon, I think, too. So it'd be interesting to see how that filters down through the family if there's other examples of it. I can't remember, off, this is why I put it on Twitter, I don't remember other other examples of any Baratheons who explicitly had dragon dreams, but since they're so intermarried with the Targaryens and they literally are them, it would be weird if they weren't, I guess, if there was an example somewhere other than Shurian. If you guys know any examples, you know, throw them in the chat or the comments when uh, when you're listening to this or you're listening to this back on replay. I don't really know. Christina Crindle says, Kin- Keetle, Christina Keetle. Very interested to see Dreamfire Morning. I mean, there's some that look cool, but I'm, I'm, I'm more thinking about personality. I have to see what they act like. Like they've made Craxies try and look like a big old, like simultaneously terrifying and also snuggly, which is kind of an interesting idea to put into a dragon, I guess. Oh, by the way, only if you guys slam the like button to 75 likes, I'll put on a silly hat. A hundred likes were giving away a t-shirt. So all you guys lurking in the background, just go ahead and slam those. Bobby B dreams of dragons every night. I guess so. He does dream of killing Rhaegar, but that's sort of the the idea of like a dream with a dragon in it, or is it a prophetic dream? That's one of the things that's so interesting about Shireen is that her dream could very easily be prophetic that that it's a dream of her the her death that she's seeing the flames that are coming for him. I mean, coming for her that Melisandre and eventually her father will burn her alive and to become Azor High to wake the dragons from stone it would be it does appear to be prophetic also she's kind of like a her best friend's patch face who explicitly talks in weird riddles so yeah Braxies is weird that way oh thank you for let's put on a silly hat oh I have them up here now there we go that's right I have my own George R. R. Martin hat I even got myself a little turtle for it so yeah we're not I don't see how much more of Baratheons we're going to see in this show they're not a huge part of it, but maybe Rainey's will talk about it. That'd be kind of interesting. They're sort of on the periphery of this one. Is Aegon's failed invasion of Dorne a Vietnam allegory? So George has talked about this recently, where he is not making a lot of historical allegories in his sh- in his uh, writing, where it's not like one for one. He's definitely influenced by the conflicts he has seen in his life, but I don't think he's really writing them to be, this is what it was like in vietnam i'm explicitly writing dorn as vietnam especially because like the setting's all wrong it's a desert not a jungle but uh, yeah all right let's see here so we got about a half hour to go if i've missed any of your questions throw them again in the chat make sure you at me bro and uh, i got some few here we're gonna go through it is it's yeah the baratheons that's why i mean they're on the periphery where they are not the main characters or much as important as they were in a song of ice and fire there's a lot of houses that are like that where they're gonna take a real backseat to what we're used to from Game of Thrones and the book series. Tyrion does have dreams of dragons. It's unclear if that's meant to signal that he's a secret Targaryen or that he just really likes dragons. It's 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 not just having dragons in your dreams. There's a lot of you can have dreams of dragons in real life. It's it's whether or not they're prophetic in nature. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't write allegory. The influences are incidental or just unconscious rather than explicitly trying to write it like i think the example in the allegory thing that the six is talking about whereas people ask him is the white walker conflict about climate change and he says no that's not what he was doing but he sees the parallels and he thinks they're interesting 
that's one of those things where like people need to get more used to death of the author. It's okay for George to not think of something for it to be okay to think about. It's this weird thing in the fandom where it's like, he's the only one that matters. It's like, no, it's, it's okay to have comparative literature analysis and all that stuff. Does John have a dragon dream? He has wolf dreams. He definitely has those. He uses ghost almost like a weird, almost like a broadcast tower in a way. He uses ghost to connect to the, to his siblings. He wargs into ghost. Then ghost has like wolf dream and then they see Bran. And it's this very strange thing. I am un, I don't remember if John has any dreams of dragons though. That would take a close reading that I do not remember. So a question I got from, from the YouTube video was Cafe Hinson who said, I always thought Rhaegar's bookish youth and songs and after quote unquote reading an ancient scroll suddenly decided he needed to be trained as a warrior was all due to dreams. Summer Hall where he was born in a place to which he kept going back. So this is something that a few people brought up and I go both ways on it. Did Rhaegar explicitly have dragon dreams like his father Aerys seemed to do? Hmm. I don't think there's any, I think both are probably acceptable. I don't think it's necessary that he literally has the dreams, but the idea that I, I really like the idea that he's reading in scrolls and that he found like signs importance or in my aim in the dream reveal, I suggest that he found Aemon's writings back in King's Landing about like Daron and prophecy and stuff like that. And that's how they connected and started writing each other. But it could definitely be both. There's such a high incidence of Targaryens having dragon dreams that somebody like Rhaegar, who believes in them so strongly, that I don't think it's a problem. I think I think it works both ways. It would be funny, though, if Rhaegar is the one who doesn't have them. And but he's the one that ended up causing such a problem for the rest of Westeros, kind of like a, a bystander in the after effects of the ripples in the dreamscape and all these prophetic dreams he doesn't even have to have them for them to ruin his life i think that's something i sort of talked about but i just make it a little bit more explicit that having dragon dreams is a bad thing it basically destroys the life of everyone that has them the only one it didn't is danis because she was able to uh, to use it to avoid the doom for her and the rest of her family but pretty much everyone else that gets these things it destroys their lives in different ways, either explicitly by them seeing bad things coming or the weight of it kind of destroying them personally or kind of almost driving them crazy trying to deal with them. It's uh, if you really wanted a cause for the Targaryen coin flip idea, it's definitely dragon dreams. That's that's what the coin thing actually means. That's what it's referencing. Yes, O'Hara Young talking about the idea that he most likely talk to the ghost of high heart yeah definitely i think there's a very high chance that that he went to her and played harp because obviously we see the ghost of high heart in the main books where how do the brotherhood without banners pay her in songs and what is Rhaegar famous for singing and playing a harp so it makes a lot of sense that he probably spent a lot of time going and talking to the ghost of high heart who very well could be the same woods witch that a jenny of old stones brought to court it would be a nice kind of completion of a pattern there yeah i'm i'm glad we're all here we're having a good time before house of the dragon drops and everything this kind of goes into high high speed i don't know if you guys saw this but i'm going to be doing two streams tomorrow i know kind of crazy the first one well the there's obviously going to be the ones i'm doing after the episode so the the episode starts at 9 p.m eastern time ends at around 10 ish so every night after 
the episode goes live, I'm going to be going live on a stream like we did for season eight and just do a rapid reaction thing. I'm lining up guests and stuff, but this first one, which is going to be, this going to be us. So looking forward to that. The second stream I'm going to do is Robert, aka Indeed Geek. I popped into his stream the other day when he was doing a Q&A and I guess it got him. It's like, oh yeah, Matt exists. So he sent me a DM and I'm going to show up to do his pre-episode stream. And I don't know how long it's going to be, but obviously I'll tweet out the link and stuff like that. Going to be doing previews sort of like this. I'm sure Robert will have a lot of surprise questions and he will try and shock me with them in order to see what, if I can come up with the answers on the fly. That's one of those things that uh, if you guys have ever seen me and Robert interact on streams, his absolute favorite thing to do is to not tell me what's coming and then just ask me off the wall questions and just like random lore stuff to see if I can come up with the answer or if I can think of something. And I do, but it's just like some, it's funny how that happens where he just like likes to test how far my knowledge and imagination goes on the fly. Did Egg's brother had to self-medicate with the drink due to Dragon Dream? Yeah, if Robert Baratheon had Dragon Dreams, his drinking would make sense. Anyway, so I think we're going live at 5 p.m. tomorrow. I think that's what Robert said it was. Let me check the retweet. He put out a thing. 5 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Here, let me grab the link to the stream. If you guys, I'm not going to be doing my own pre-stream stuff. I mean, preview stuff. I like doing the reactions more. But, uh, oh, okay. Let's see if this works. History of Westeros is going to have me on at some point, too. I think it's next week. So basically, I'm going to be on camera for like 10 weeks straight at this point. I can't seem to push the the link into the chat. Could one of the mods grab it and throw it in there? Oh, wait, there it goes, maybe. I don't really know what's going on. YouTube Studio does not like me. It like basically doesn't work. Oh, that reminds me. Before we, I don't know if we're going to have the same kind of volume of visitors as we did last year. But I don't know if you guys remember, but like when I would do streams normally before season eight, I would have like 20, 30, 40 people. And then after the episode, it would spike up to like a thousand. So if any of you guys in the chat are, are mods for other channels, uh, shoot me a message. And if you're if you're able to be around for the after show streams, just tell me which channels you're a mod for and that kind of thing. And if you obviously if you're around here a lot, I'm just looking to add a few of them because it's probably going to be crazy. It was last year, too, especially people who came in and were like, like spamming spoilers. So, yeah, looking to add like maybe like two or three, maybe four mods or something like that as we push into it, just so that the I don't want to overwhelm the ones I already have. So, yeah on Twitter or email, or if you're one of my patrons, shoot me something in the Slack or something like that. It would be very helpful because I, I will need people. And of course it could be the same thing. And it's like the same numbers and nobody comes in, but if they do, I need to be prepared for it. And I am not. So yeah, yes, it's a thousand eyes in one. Let's see here. What was I talking about? Oswald Hall. Do you think Jaharis was actually a good king or Meister propaganda? He was a good king. He was a king for like 70 years and nobody killed him. So that's usually a pretty good thing. Whether he's a good man is another question. The, George and Patty Considine have been talking a lot in the run up to the show that Theris is a good man and a bad king. And I'm guessing that Jaharis is the opposite, that he's not a good person, but the way he's not a good person made him effective leader, that kind of thing. Where we know how to find the porno sites. I took care of that because I have subscriber chat on and they will be for the whole season. So if the porn sites want to spam on my channel, they're going to have to sub first. Got them. Actually, if there's anyone trying the chat and you can't, that's why you have to sub to the channel. Uh, let's see here. Let's grab another question here. 
from the from the video from Adai Rua. They said that awesome that this is being confirmed. Ever since I heard you guys mention about other kings having dreams like they were the blessed, I've come to think that all Targaryen kings reacted in their own way to the dreams. Like for example, Aegon the Fourth's debauchery as a nihilistic answer, as he may have felt there was no hope for the future without dragons. And I think Aegon the Fourth is actually a really good kind of king to zone in on and we're talking about this stuff because yeah it does seem like Aegon is so self-destructive it seems like he especially with the thing on his deathbed where he legitimized all of his bastards man does it seem like he was trying to blow up the realm but is that because he saw the end coming like uh, the nihilistic idea here it's like well the world's gonna end there's nothing we can do to stop it might as well have fun that kind of thing the other way is it'd be funny if Aegon essentially took the idea that he had to kind of screw his way to having enough Targaryens that maybe the dragons will start hatching again. There's definitely one thing that's extremely explicit within Aegon the Fourth's reign is that he had a succession crisis, much very similar to Viserys, where he wanted to make Daemon Blackfire his heir, but but Daron was his, and he sort of had the opposite problem where. He kept trying to disinherit Daron in favor of Damon, and the court politics kept making it so that he couldn't. And I guess Daron kept rallying, kept getting the lords and stuff to rally around him throughout his life. And also, Aemon the Dragon Knight really stepped in. But it would be interesting if, just like we're probably going to find out that Viserys was convinced that Rhaenyra was the princess that was promised, it'd be kind of fascinating to learn that Aegon actually had a reason beyond just thinking that Daron was a bastard like what if he was convinced that Damon was the prince that was promised or something like that that would he's definitely one of those characters that gets a lot of write-up about him in the history of A Song of Ice and Fire but there's very little direct information about him you don't see a lot of conversations with him there's really no personal interactions we it's just sort of getting the outline of what's going on with him so if you, I guess if you were, we know House of the Dragons is going to run about three to four seasons with the Dance of the Dragons. If they decide to do the Blackfire Rebellion, I would not be shocked if they started it off with a, with Aegon the Fourth being the anti Varys. Or I, I guess, what, what's a better way of saying this? That he had the similar inputs into his decision making. You know, that maybe he was having dragon dreams. Maybe he did have these kind of prophecies being given to him. And but his reaction to it is just very different. Yes, that's right, Billy B. The Targans think they are the main characters. It's almost like they know they're in a book series. It'll be fascinating to find out, though. Oh, by the way, 10 more likes and we're going to give away a T-shirt from my Threadless shop. You, too, can get yourself an asswaffle blanket. <laughs> the correct way to pronounce Song of Ice and Fire, asswaffle. It is kind of a fun meta thing, though, that the Targaryens seem to be aware that they're the, the magical forces in a, in a book series. <laughs> I kind of made that comparison that like when you're talking about the idea of like history being deterministic and the idea that the Targaryens can't really escape their fate, like within the, the story itself, within a Watsonian thing, you can sort of see how that's how that's true and how they react to it. But if you think about it, like from the outside perspective, they just know they're in a book. <laughs> they're like, boy, it seems like what I'm, what's about to happen to me is already predicted. That's like pages like the ink is dry on the pages or something like that when blood raven's talking about like the idea of the different weirwoods being on like the edges of the river and that's how they see through the river of time 
it's, it's kind of you can you can definitely imagine the weirds themselves as like the literal books that we read that's kind of the idea behind them it's a it's a funny way george did it it's like a very a very writer's in joke i guess oh that blanket is soft it's very soft just reds hey reds do you think we're gonna name drop for extinct fearing houses in house of the dragon or a name drop for targaryens before aegon the first uh so name drop for targaryens before aegon the first definitely we're most likely going to hear about Danis. We'll probably hear about Anar the Exile. If you're talking about in Valyria before Anar and Danis, I would be surprised. It kind of depends on how far back into the history they want to go. We may hear more about the other Lords of Dragonstone, though. There's like four or five generations between Anar and Aegon, I think. Or is it three? Three or four, something like that. So Viserys and Rhaenyra seem very into history itself and the legacy of the Targaryen family. So like when you're looking at the dagger thing, where's my dagger? When you're talking about the steel dagger, it was pointed out and I incorrectly thought it wasn't there. It just looked like kind of like the swirls on the metal from Valyrian steel, like Damascus steel. But they released higher res images and you can see quite clearly that there are words written on the, dry, the Valyrian steel dagger. And that could very well connect back to Valyria, connect back to Danis, that kind of thing. So like... They may use this artifact kind of like as, as a bridge between them. There we go. As for the name drop for extinct Valyrian houses and House of the Dragon, maybe not this this run, the Dance of the Dragons. Maybe if they eventually go back and do an Aegon the Conqueror thing, maybe we'll we'll hear about them then because it would be f more fresh in their history and knowledge. Although if you're talking about Viserys and he's like building a Valyrian steel city, I wonder if he will also get information about about the families themselves. Otherwise, there's not really much there. If you read The World of Ice and Fire and the main books, we don't even know the name of another family. The only dragon lord we know of that survived the doom is Orion. I don't even know what house he's from. So, yeah, don't really know about that one. I wonder if we're going to see more of the Celtigar. They're like the, the forgotten Valyrians. Nobody likes the Celtigars, not even the Valarians and the Targaryens. They're sitting there the whole time. And as far as we know, I don't think they have any intermarriage with the Targaryen family. It's like they're too low-class Valyrians for them. Maybe they're just assholes. Quite possibly they are just assholes. I do wonder what kind of flashbacks we'll get, though. Will we see Danes' dream? That'd be kind of cool. They've they've showed it off in the History and Lore series from Game of Thrones, but I don't know how, how hard they're going to push this. If we hear a lot about her and we hear a lot about Signs Importance, it would be very interesting if they have some sort of set piece showing the doom or showing Danies. That'd be kind of cool. The Celticars have a Valyrian steel axe. Yes, they do. That's about it. The, only th the other thing we know about them is the people of Crackclaw Point think they're a-holes. And that's about it. Need more info on Orion. What happens to him after the doom? It appears that he got ambushed on his way to Valyria. Because he he took he raised an army. He was trying to walk down to Valyria and disappeared. I'm guessing that the the rest of the, the Valyrian daughters were like, we're cool without the freehold here. We're now free to do whatever we want. And then I basically took out Orion and his army because the, that is the relationship of the Valerian colonies to the freehold. They didn't like the freehold. They thought they were arrogant pricks who held back their dragons and threatened to burn them all the time for loyalty. They were not fans and they would not want the return of a Valerian emperor like Orion, which is what he was trying to do. He crowned himself emperor of Valyria. Hard pass on that one from Volantis, I would guess. Let's see. Oh, there, there are, there's mention of other houses, Belais and the dragon Terax. Oh, I missed those ones. I'm sorry. I then I misspoke or didn't remember it. That's right. I didn't remember it. My memory is not as perfect 
as in deep geek thinks it is. There's a lot of information and I actually don't have it all stored in my brain. I try, but I don't. House Belaria. Belaria's family, one of the 40 families. They went extinct in the Doom of Valyria. It's aftermath. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. She's the one that went to Sorios. Okay. I don't think they survive though. They it, they they die in the Doom. Dragon Rider and Lith. I don't remember that one. So let's see here. We talked about Amanda and that she thinks that the signs importance might show up along with Alice Rivers. I think that's correct. Me and Amanda are definitely are definitely on team. We're gonna see the children of the forest in some way during House of the Dragon. It would be silly not to. Where is Orion mentioned? It's A-U-R-I-O-N. He's in the World of Ice and Fire, I think. It's in the aftermath of the Doom. He's a dragon rider who happened to not be in Valyria at the time. After he heard about the Doom, he got on his dragon, named himself Emperor of Valyria, and then raised an army to march down to retake the Freehold and then disappeared either en route or in Valyria. It's presented as very mysterious where he went but it seems pretty clear that he just got ambushed <laughs> that nobody wanted him to come back to the freehold and they just attacked him along the way so this was from christina k she said in the comments of my video there has to be some legitimacy to the dreams reason being if it was only the children or glass candles then why are the dreams exclusive to valerians as far as we know or obviously those with the blood of the first men it seems that there are just restrictions on who can be contacted Otherwise, everyone would have prophetic dreams and it would be part of how Westeros works. Possibly the Red Priests learned to tap into these visions using study and tools to do what the Targaryens do naturally. I think it's probably these connections to fire magic makes them a window into something men were never meant to see. Whatever it makes them, whatever it is that makes them able to control dragons also comes with the cost of seeings as a god does. So I suggested in my video, if you haven't watched it, that because you can fake a dragon dream that it's that somebody with a glass candle or a green seer could potentially mimic everything we see that the Targaryens are receiving. You have to assume that some of them are kind of the example I used is that like, imagine you're walking into a store and they claim they have like some exclusive item you can only buy there. But then on like the side streets next to the store, there's like two guys that have tables set up with identical fakes. Now, it doesn't mean that every everything in the store that has the exclusive item is faked, but you'd be stupid not to wonder how many of them are. If they can be faked, you have to assume that's that they are being and that some of them can be. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of the thing I was talking about in the video where there's no there's no mechanism at all to describe for where these things are coming from, whereas with green dreams, it's clear that many of them are coming from the children in the forest themselves and that we see the examples that from glass candle users that they look pretty much identical to the ones that we see earlier. And or what was the other one I was thinking about that Eamon and Sam are being watched constantly by Maru and the mage and are seemingly unaware of it. Now, there are some hints to Eamon maybe realizing that somebody's watching him because he ha he makes a few comments about what Sam sees later in the in the Citadel, like he talks about the Sphinx being the riddle, not the Riddler, which could very well have to could very well be an allusion to Alaris. So long story short, it's it's not if they can be faked, as I said, some of them may be. So trying to parse them is really hard. Maybe George at some point is going to say, like in his in his video that we're I was talking about at the top of the stream, 
that, uh, that he says that there's some sort of connection to the dragons that makes the magic work. Maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe dragon dreams are literally coming from the dragons. Maybe that's literally what's going on. Maybe they are coming from the, dr the dragons themselves, like how Daenerys sees her dragons coming, that there seems to be some kind of connection to it. But yeah, it, it's, it, it's curious. George has given us the, has given us examples and reasons for how the other ones work, it, but notably neglected dragon dreams for it. And that's kind of the thing I was, so, okay, so where are they coming from? It's if it's either it's either dragons or they're fakes. Basically, that's what George has given us in the books to work with. So I did sort of come down during the video itself where I talked about how maybe some of them are fake and some of them are real. But if they're real, we really don't know where they're coming from. It would make more sense for George to not make them all fake, I would think, because it kind of it undercuts a lot of what makes it special about how the Targaryens are. And the, their offspring are really reacting to it if they're all fake. It really just makes it a story about them getting hoodwinked. And that would be kind of weird for him to do. So I think I may have said it a little bit too definitive in the video, like because they're all they may be. But it's probably like it depends on which ones. And I also noted that like the, the glass candles weren't working basically between the end of The Last Dragon and Danny's dragons hatching so that's there's that whole time frame where glass candles probably aren't being used it kind of goes both ways but i think i agree with what christina is saying that other aspects of fire magic seem to be real so why would these be totally fake there should be something real to them i just don't know what it is i guess that's what i'm saying maybe we're going to learn about it maybe house of the dragon will make it more explicit that they keep seeing the dragon seems to be indicative of that but Again, when you're talking about how Bloodraven and Bran can basically shapeshift in dreams and change what they look like, it, I don't know. It's one of those things where I tried to break them down in terms of where you try and figure out which one's real or not. It just becomes impossible. Like if I, I made that point in the video where it was like, well, if is every dream that Quaith sends, is she like signing them because she shows up in some of them or her voice shows up on them, but it's not always the same thing. She could be sending more than the ones she does and then just not appearing in them, that kind of thing. If it sounds uncertain and it sounds like I'm not really sure, it's because I'm not. And it's because we don't, I don't think we have enough information to go on and where they're all coming from. And then this, that George introduced the idea that they could be fake makes it even more complicated to actually parse what's going on. Do all dragon, oh, sorry, super chat here from Kieran Grant, $10, keep on with your wild theories. Some of us love to hear it. Yeah, thanks. I hope not all of them are wild. Obviously, some are more speculative than others. That's kind of the nature of my channel itself. I like coming up with ideas and using imagination and stuff like that. And I'm sorry if that bothers people. Not a lot I can do about that. Wild theories like is cannibal related to the Valarians? That is like, that is some weapons grade tinfoil right there because there's literally one line to suggest it. And even then, George instantly goes back and negates it and says, like, well, that probably means nothing. It's like, all right. So any last questions we got here? Just throw them in the chat. Anything about House of the Dragon? Anything about prophecies and dreams? Oh, I'm sorry. We just hit 100 likes. Thank you guys for slamming the like button. Let's go ahead and give away a T-shirt. Let's do a giveaway and keyword dreamer. Type the word dreamer in chat. Oh, if you want to win yourself a free T-shirt from my Threadless shop. If you've won recently, try not to enter because it will just, you know, not be nice if so many new got them, but, you know, type it in chat. I'll give it a few minutes and then we'll go ahead and 
roll it and give it away. So let's see here. Oh, Emma also had a really good comment on the patron slack where she brought up the idea of if she says, assuming that Agen's dream is real and not solely the manipulation of green seers implies that his conquering of Westeros because of the threat of the others was also in some relatively direct way, the catalyst that triggered their return. And I think that's a, that's a pretty insightful point from Emma there that the others had, if they were coming back, they took a long time. They spent thousands of years more or less doing nothing since their defeat during the long night. So what the hell was going on that made them decide now? And I think Emma brings up a good point that the threat of the, of the Valyrians and their dragons coming to Westeros may have been what convinced them that they needed to start to rearm too. That it's kind of like a conflict that is created by the existence of the more dragons in Westeros. That the, the others are like, these people can wipe us out. We have to get ready. And it'd be funny on the other side, Aegon's like, these people can wipe us out. We need to get ready. And in the middle of it, you have the children of the forest maybe pushing both sides together into war. They do seem to sit in, a, in an interesting central location to the forces of ice and fire. That if if they're manipulating the, the Valyrians, as I think they probably are, and if they're messing with the others beyond the wall, and the others seem to know it because, you know, they're surrounding Blood Raven's cave and they they seem to be very keen on attacking the remaining children of the forest. It would be fascinating if that is the kind of the relationship that the children created the conflict in order to essentially have their two potential enemies wipe each other out. That's something that George has written into his other stories where kind of manipulating sort of magical is magical ish creatures have a tendency in his world to manipulate different characters into in different factions into fighting each other for the benefit of the manipulators that's definitely in the story what is it and seven times never kill man the the gen the jane she basically use prophetic dreams that they send using their magical pyramid things i guess that's kind of what they are in order to get the humans to to inflame them and get them to fight each other and do like very harmful things to their colony which ends up causing its destruction so it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that george is writing a similar thing with the children and as emma brings up it it seems like it would be the kind of manipulation that would cause the conflict itself the if the others are reacting to the valyrians landing and then the valyrians reacting to the others coming in their dreams that would be kind of interesting how that would work Oh, let's, let's see here. We got 26 people entered. A last call. If you guys want to win a free t-shirt, type Dreamer into the chat. Question, where can you read a song for Leah? You can read it in his book. Hang on a second. You can read it here in Dream Songs, volume one and two. It's a, a collection that George, of his own short stories and novellas and scripts, and he actually writes about them in between, so it's sort of autobiographical. A Song for Lee is in here, I believe, but there's also a bunch of other books that has it. I forget which, but a lot of these books up here are actually, let me get out of the way. A lot of these up here are short story collections. He actually hasn't written that many books, but he's written a lot of short stories and novellas, and he likes to package them up, or he used to, into short story collections to sell. So A Song for Lee has been in quite a lot of them because it was his first book. I mean, his first story, so... It's not hard to find. You could probably also find it online somewhere. It's relatively short. So, but I would definitely, if you're looking to get into Martin's older work, I would definitely check out Dream Songs. It's a really good introduction 
you get a really wide breadth of his different kind of stories and how he thinks about them, which is often if you're trying to predict him as a writer, it's often more important to not just read what he has, but also to get his thoughts on them, which what Dream Songs provides. All right. Last. Here we go. 36 wins. There you go, buddy. You have won yourself a T-shirt from my Threadless shop. So send me a message on Twitter. You can send me a DM and I'll send you a code or you can email me at askjoemagician at gmail.com. Oh, I'm sorry, Shelly. You just barely missed it. You did have a chance there. I'm sorry. I still have a few more to give away, so don't worry about it. You'll have more chances. Is there anything else I wanted to get to? So Curtis Franks also left another, as I said, he left a lot of good questions on the on the video itself. And one of them is, do we think that dragon genes were common to other Valyrians or either other Targaryens prior to the Doom? And the answer is yes. Bloodraven in the Mystery Night makes a comment that the Targaryens have been having dragon dreams for generations going back to Valyria, which of course includes Daenys. She was born and raised in Valyria before they went to Dragonstone. But it would be, I would assume that if it has something to do with their bloodline, like it seems that it does, like we were talking about how the Baratheons may have them. If there's a member of the Valyrians family that has them, like what if the Strongs, Rhaenyra's children have them as well? The Targaryens probably intermarried quite a bit in the Valyrian Freehold. We see them do that with the Valarians on uh, in Westeros kind of because they're out of options. It's one of those things where they are definitely incestuous when they get to Westeros, but I would guess they were much less so when they were in the Freehold because obviously they would want to make political marriages. And when everybody's a dragon rider, then you wouldn't need to, there'd be less of a chance, I guess, of their idea of diluting the bloodline. You know, even if it's, you imagine that the 40 families were less 40 families and more kind of like one big one after a certain point. They just kind of intermarried with each other. So I would guess it's not just a Targaryen thing to get the uh, dragon dreams. That was probably relatively common among the 40 families of the Freehold. But what seems to make them what seems to make them a bit different is that they seem to have taken them seriously. <laughs> like that that's the one thing that Danius and Anar did is they acted on them. And it's it's probably the kind of thing where the rest of the Freehold did not take the dream super seriously because there's it there's where is it probably the world of ice and fire that's where a lot of this stuff is where the rest of the the freehold laughed at anar they laughed at danies for giving up the freehold to uh, to go to westeros now part of that could be the idea that the the 40 families basically treated themselves as gods they were like we are masters of this world we can do whatever we want there will be no doom of valyria on our watch we can overcome anything that's probably part of it but kind of another idea is that they seem to find it funny that Anar would believe Danis and make such an extreme action on it. So I guess a long-winded way of answering it is there probably were dragon dreams common in Valyria and in the before Danis and the rest of her and the rest of the freehold. But I'm not sure they were always taken seriously. Ooh, that was a lot of talking. That two hours just kind of flew. So I think that's probably a bit today. Oh yeah, Kieran Grant makes the point the faceless man ruined that plan. That is definitely in my in the Slack. That's something that hang on a second. Who was talking about that? Ramona Zamfir, she asked the question. I think I talked about this during the What Caused the Doom of Area stream that I wondered if the Tarians paid off the faceless men to cause the doom. It would it is one of those things that would kind of undercut it. <laughs> if like Danis dreamed of the doom because the Targans were planning to cause it 
But then also, why would they warn the rest of the Freehold about it if they were going to kill them? I guess it doesn't make a lot of sense in that way. If they were going to hire the faceless men to cause the doom of Valyria directly, then why warn them? It's not a YouTube live stream without two hours and a sore throat. Yeah, I've been trying to make sure I drink more while I'm streaming because with no break, it, it you can probably hear it. I'm, I need to preserve my voice for tomorrow afternoon with In Deep Geek and then after the episode itself. So although I'm guessing coffee doesn't help with that, which is what I'm drinking. But yeah, thanks all you guys for hanging out during this one, this last Saturday stream before House of the episode. Definitely come hang out. We're going to do a live reaction thing. I mean, I, we already know it's going to be a lot about the Great Council of 101. They're going to talk about prophecy and dreams. So everything we're talking about today will come up on Sunday. And, and then there'll be videos coming out during the week. Well, at least one video. You guys also probably saw on my channel that I released two shorts, which is like YouTube TikTok. I'm going to be doing more of those. The one I put out the other day was literally just to learn how to use green screens, which is how I was able to do it, where it was me cut out and then stuff behind me. So I just needed an easy topic, so I chose that one. But they're gonna be more in-depth ones. I have like 15 of them written, so look out for that. Look out for the video, full videos during the week and the streams after every one. We're gonna have a lot of guests coming on, which I have to set up. But anyway, I hope everybody has a good Saturday and 